Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Well, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17. Last week, our big idea was prayer. That's the way that we talk to God. And this week, it's the Bible. That's the way that God talks to us. So we can have a conversation with God in prayer, talking to him, reading the Bible, him speaking to us. Max Lucado, or Lucado, I always say Lucado, but I think it's Lucado, says this, the Bible has been banned, burned, and scoffed, and ridiculed. Scholars have mocked it as foolish. Kings have branded it as illegal. A thousand times over the grave has been, its grave has been dug and the dirge has begun, but somehow the Bible never stays in the grave. Not only has it survived, it has thrived. It is the single most popular book in all of history. It has been the best-selling book in the world for years. Now, we've had the Bible for so long, and so many of us have so many Bibles, that we forget that it's a really big idea. The Word of God is a huge idea. We have multiple Bibles in our home, and when much of the world has no Bible at all, and in some places it's banned. For centuries, there's been a struggle with the Bible because the Bible is a powerful, God-breathed book. And as it is with the existence of God, everyone must come to some kind of term or terms with the Bible. You have to decide. Do I believe the Bible? Do I not believe the Bible? Do I believe that the Bible is true and the Word of God? Do I not believe the Bible to be true? Some people do not believe any part of the Bible. They think that it's all fiction. They think that it is all conjecture. They don't believe the Bible to have any divine inspiration whatsoever. They discount its validity and give no worth to it at all. There are other people who treasure the Bible, but they still do not believe it completely. You might ask them, do you believe everything that's in the Bible? And they say, yes. Do you believe the Bible to be literally true? Well, mostly, they might say. They think that some parts of the Bible may not be factually or literally true. Well, the problem with that is that the claim of the Bible demands that you believe it all or not at all. The problem with people that say, well, I believe most of the Bible, is that they're missing out on the reality that to believe most of the Bible is not to believe the Bible. In his writings to Timothy, the Apostle Paul emphasized the importance of the Word of God and the validity of it. Here's a passage where he is giving Timothy some instruction, and we're going to receive insight from his writings to Timothy as to the value of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. 
which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me just pause right there and say a word concerning current events. The Bible says that all that would live a godly life will, in Jesus Christ, will be persecuted. What's going on today in Iraq with the terrorist group ISIS ISIS is a, a bearing out of verses like this. We need to pray for Christians in Iraq today. According to many reports, they are being tortured and killed, even children being uh, executed. Children who are the children of Christian parents who refuse to renounce Christianity and embrace Islam. And I want to just ask you to do something today. I want to ask you to, to take your life as you see it right this minute. Step back and take a photograph of your life as you see it right this minute and compare it to those people this morning who literally are hiding for fear of their children being beheaded and the women being raped and murdered and the men being hung. Compare what is going on in your life right now to their state of life, understanding this, the only reason that they are in that place is because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul told Timothy, all who would live godly in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Sometimes that causes me to question my own godliness because I've never really been persecuted. And when we pray tonight and when we pray today and as we're in the service, offer up to God a sincere uh, prayer. Have conversation with him about those people today who are in fear of their lives. Picking up with verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> through faith <coughs> through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. Recently, I heard about a local pastor. Actually, he was the pastor at Wakulla Springs Baptist Church down in the Wakulla area, Wakulla County. The pastor of Wakulla Springs Baptist Church who resigned from his church to go be a pastor in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is one of the fastest growing areas in the United States of America. And he went to Las Vegas. And uh, he was, I was talking to one of his church members, one of the church members there at Wakulla Springs Baptist. 
And he had this comment about being a pastor in Las Vegas. He said there was such a difference between pastoring in Tallahassee versus pastoring in Las Vegas. And his comment was this, and, and it's not a bad comment, but he said that literally those people knew nothing. They knew nothing about the Bible. They knew nothing about the claims of Christ. They <clears throat> knew literally nothing. And it was like teaching babies the Christian life. And in some ways, I think I envy his dilemma. Because the Bible says that we should desire spiritual, nurse, spiritual nourishment <clears throat> like babies. 1 Peter 2 and 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. It's a wonderful thing when people want to <clears throat> drink in things of the Spirit and drink in uh, matters of the Christian life. What has happened in our world today is that, that we literally take the cap off of the milk carton, the spiritual milk carton, and we smell the milk before we drink it. And the reason we smell the milk is because there's a certain kind of milk that we want. We do not want it <clears throat> straight, the sincere milk of the Word. We want the milk of the Word in the packaging that we want the milk of the Word. Our little granddaughter, Emerson, <clears throat> is the sweetest, happiest, easiest to please little child that you will ever see until she gets hungry. And when <clears throat> she gets hungry, there's nothing to be done except to feed her. Everyone knows about it when she's hungry. And she will not stop crying <clears throat> until she is fed. Now, if we came to God's house like that, <clears throat> we would go home fat and happy. If we came to God's house really hungry for the Word of God, <clears throat> if we came to God's house really starving to hear what the Word of God has to say to our lives, everything else would become ancillary. <clears throat> the the uh, condition of the facility, although we ought to have the best facility that we can have would be ancillary the style of music would be ancillary whether or not somebody spoke to us that day would be ancillary <clears throat> whether or not we enjoyed uh, the fellowship of this person or that person would be ancillary whether or not we have an opinion about somebody in the church or something of the church would be ancillary if we were like Emerson who just had to have the milk. We just have to have <clears throat> the nourishment. It's just absolutely important. You know what the problem is with many people who come to the house of God? I don't know whether this is your problem, but I'm sure it's been your problem at some point in <clears throat> life. It's certainly been my problem. The problem of Proverbs chapters 27 and verse 7. One who is full loathes honey but to one who is hungry, every bitter thing is sweet. Here's what that's saying, that <clears throat> when we come really, really hungry, we will be nourished. 
The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's an imperative. What that means is this, they will not be denied. They're like you were in school and like I was in school and like these kids are in school. When they get home from school in the afternoon, they're so hungry, they can hardly stand it. And if supper is not ready, and usually it's not when they get home, they're going to find something to eat. When I was a boy, I ate many a mayonnaise sandwich or mustard sandwich because there wasn't anything else in the house. And I would put, I would make myself a mayonnaise sandwich and I would eat it because I was hungry. And the reason I did that is because I would not be denied. I had to have something to eat. That's what the Bible says about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We will not be denied. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because they shall be filled. They will not be denied. All of that being said, here's what I'm going to assume today. I'm going to assume that you came to God's house hungry today. I'm not going to assume that anybody is full of themselves or full of anger or full of bitterness or full of jealousy or full of uh, covetousness or or full of the cares of this world or full of anything else except full of hunger for the Word of God. I'm going to assume that you are so hungry for the Word of God that every little morsel from the Bible will be sweet today. The big idea, excuse me, the big idea is the Bible. So let's start with this. Very simple. This is going to be one of those simple messages today. What is it? What is the Bible? What is this book that causes such a stir around the world? Well, very simply, this is the Word of God. You have probably heard me or some other preacher say something like this. We believe that the Bible is the verbally inspired, inerrant, infallible, plenary Word of God. Well, that's big, isn't it? The inerrant, infallible, inspired, plenary Word of God. A lot of times preachers say those kinds of things and drop it right there and walk off and leave you. And they say, you say to yourself, now what did he mean by that? I'm going to give you a good, simple understanding. Here's what we, we believe by that. The easiest way is to think about the old country preacher who said this, the Bible is God's word from generations to revolutions. <clears throat> That's what we mean. From cover to cover. From the title page to the maps. The Bible <clears throat> is the word of God. I'm in that old preacher's camp. There are many reasons to revere the Word of God, but none greater than its association with the King of Kings. Revelation 19 and 13 says, He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. He is the living Word, and we should cherish the Holy Scriptures, because we know that our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the living Word. Jesus is the personification of the perfection and completeness of God's Word. The Bible is God's Word. Now look, I want to get you used to this. If you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, say amen. Amen. All right. 
Now, I'm going to give you another chance because some of you have never said amen in your life in a church service. One more shot. If you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, please say amen. Amen. All right, then. Now, here's the second thing. The Bible is the Word of God. It is the very breath of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, I'm going to ask you to forgive me for offending the Florida in you. I'm about to offend some of the Florida in you, and I don't mean to. I've lived in Florida for over 22 years, and I don't mean to offend the Florida in you. But my favorite, favorite mornings are those mornings that are so cold you can see your breath. I love that. Now, see, people amen that that didn't amen the Word of God earlier, but, but I understand it. These are the invigorating days. They're the bundling up days. Oh, I love it. Even better is to see the breath of God. And we can do that regardless of the weather. When you read the Bible for comfort, you are inhaling the breath of God. When the Bible corrects you, you are inhaling the breath of God. When we are inspired by the pages of this book, our hearts are being filled and blessed by the very breath of God. When the words of the Bible come to us at just the right time, it is God breathing in our direction to warm us up, to wake us up, or to work us up. This is the very breath of God. This is a God-breathed book. What is the Bible? Well, the Bible is the Word of God. It's the breath of God. Here's what it is. It's the mind of God. Earlier, I said that prayers when we talk to God in the Bible is God talking to us. God speaks to us in other ways as well. God speaks to us in His leading. God leads us in our lives. He calls us in our lives. God's calling on my life was to be a preacher. His leading for most of these years has been to be a pastor. His specific leading over 22 years ago was to come to Tallahassee, Florida and be the pastor of this church. That's God's leading in my life. God speaks to us by his leading and he impresses his will on our lives. Now here's something important for us to remember. God never speaks to us in contrast to what he has spoken to us. God will not lead you against his word. I think, I'm going to just say it, I think God is leading me not to tithe. (laughs) Well, that can't be true. That would be like saying, I think God is leading me to work my way to heaven. That's contrary to his word. You can't be led of God contrary to the command of God. The infinite mind of God is is perfect. The Bible says that he is the same. Today, yesterday, today, and forever. The will of God is not going to be in conflict with the mind of God. 
Now, I feel like I ought to stand here and say that 10 times over because that is one of the biggest problems in the Christian walk is people think they're being led contrary to the Word of God. It's just not possible. <clears throat> it's just that doesn't happen. The mind of God is stated in His Word, and we conform our way to His will, and we conform our walk to His Word, and when we conform our way to His will and our walk to His Word, guess what? His will carries us along. It's so important to understand that the Bible is the mind of God. I just don't know what to do. I've got this thing, and I'm just not sure what to do about it. I just, I keep <clears throat> praying and asking God to tell me what to do about it. And I keep asking and asking. I'll tell you what, let God talk to you a while. Go to the Word. And, and you pray till the light breaks through, and you read till the light breaks through. He'll direct you in His Word. Have you ever been reading the Bible? and said something like this, I never saw that before. Well, do you think it got put in there the night before? No. What happens is this. God is showing you something that you need to see. It's been there all along. It was there before you were here. It's been there all along, and, and in the course of your uh, paths needing to be directed, God said, let me show you a signpost from the signs that have been posted from the foundation of me, the living word, which is forever. <clears throat> so the Bible is the word of God. What is it? It's the word of God. It's the breath of God. It's the mind of God. Now, how did we get it? Well, the nature of God's Word is that it is, is true, all true, or all suspect. And I think we have to really get that. We have such a gray society today that we have to really come to understand that the Bible is all true or all suspect. So somebody will say, you, you say, now do you tell the truth? Well, mostly now, do you know what you just said? I'm a liar. Have you ever told, do you ever tell a lie? Well, not much. Okay. But you are a liar. Well, I mean, not as bad as other people. But you do lie. Well, I've lied before. Well, okay, when can I tell that you're telling the truth? Because I mostly tell the truth, but you don't always tell the truth. So if you don't always tell the truth, there must be a time when you're lying. Is there a signal or a way that you can show me that you're lying? I know people, you do too, the way to tell that they are lying is when their lips are moving. Look, God doesn't lie. In fact, here's what the Bible says. He cannot lie, Frank. He cannot. He cannot. <clears throat> now that is really strange to us that God cannot lie. He really cannot. 
My daddy used to tell me, you can't straddle a mud puddle with a wheelbarrow. <clears throat> no, that's true. God cannot lie. <clears throat> he absolutely tells the truth. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then you got it in the Bible. Amen? That's where that came from. <laughs> if you believe that, you say, well, I... I believe that the New Testament tells me that Jesus rose from the dead. And so I believe it. We're living in the New Testament time. I believe the New Testament. Well, here's what else the New Testament says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All th everything that was made was made by Him. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So here's what you got to do. You got, if you believe in Jesus, you got to believe in the creation. He said, I really don't. Yeah, well, you kind of do. You might not think that you have to, but look, what gives any of us the right to say of any of the Word of God that this part's true and that part isn't? I mean, who are we to say that part of the Bible is true, but now this part right here, I don't, that's, no. Who are we to say that kind of thing? I mean, seriously, who do we think we are? 2 Peter 1.20 says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own <clears throat> interpretation. Look, this, this Bible, the question is, how did we get it? And let me give you a couple of answers to that. First of all, God said it. That's how we got it. God said it. There used to be a popular bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. I like that, but it isn't really true. This bumper sticker is true. Uh, or the bumper sticker that says, God said it, and that settles it, is true. We don't have to believe it for it to be settled. God just <clears throat> said it, and it's true. You say, well, now how can that be? Well, how can this be? Let there be light, and there was light. God said it, that's it. The idea that so many writers over so many years wrote on one theme in perfect harmony is not only improbable, it is impossible. <clears throat> this, this, that is literary evolution. The, the Bible is not literary evolution. It is what God said and men wrote. 2 Peter 1.21. <clears throat> if, if, you, if you don't have this stuff committed deeply in your heart, you ought to write these things down or, or follow along online through you version the, the message today. 2 Peter 1.21. <clears throat> For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. This verse, along with our text, is so important to our understanding of, of how the Bible came. God spoke it. Men wrote it. And the Spirit led it. That's how it happened. Again, 1 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Born along by the Holy Spirit. I've never sailed in a sailboat, but my understanding is that 
a sailboat takes you where the wind takes you. Now, there's some things you can do probably to steer a sailboat. I don't know. <clears throat> but the wind carries you along. That's the way that the Word of God was, uh, came to us. The Holy Spirit of God took the very Word of God that God spoke, <clears throat> spoke it to the hearts of men, and they wrote it. The Holy Spirit moved the writers along. They wrote what God spoke in this, as the Spirit moved their hearts. Did they write with a certain style that was unique to them? Yes, they did. Now, look, when, when I'm preaching, I preach the Word of God. I, I, I try my best to stay true to the Word of God and preach the Word of God. But I preach in the style that is indicative of me. Some, some preachers... I, I manuscript my sermon. Just about every, I'm going to say 75% of what I'm going to say is written out. And 25%, you know, is, who knows where that comes from. <clears throat> but the 75% is written out. Now, I know preachers that are much different than that. I know preachers that, that just do outlines. I had, a, I had a preacher here one time <clears throat> that stood up, and, and he said, I've never preached a sermon that I studied for. I just wait to see what God gave me. He didn't get to preach again because I'd afraid of what God's going to give him if he hadn't studied uh, for it. <clears throat> but we're all different. I, I knew a preacher down in, in uh, around Lakeland area that used to, to write his sermons literally on the old chewing gum wrappers. He would think of a sermon, and he'd always chew chewing gum, and he would take it out, and he would write a And I've, I've seen the man preach from chewing gum wrappers. I went to his office one time, and I pulled out a drawer, and it was full of sermons, chewing gum wrappers, <clears throat> literally. He said, well, he ought not do that. I can't, I'm not going to tell him he ought not do that. I'm not going to say that he didn't preach the Word of God. I couldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But <clears throat> we all come from a, a different way in how we do this. Some people are very somber when they preach. They never say anything that could be remotely funny. Some of you think that I'm that way. There's nothing that I say that you think is remotely funny. But the truth, <laughs> case in point. Uh, <clears throat> But it, it's a different style. That's the way the Word of God came to us. That's why Isaiah reads one way and Mark reads another way, yet they're on the common subject of, uh, of, of the Lord. <clears throat> That's the way that it happened. They did not write outside the mind of God. He was not an inspiration for their writing. He was the inspiration for their writing. The spirits moving in their heart was the mind of God being recorded for you and for me. And just as God gave us his word, he has preserved his word. There's certainly various versions and translations over the years and and we should be careful to make sure that we're dealing with a trustworthy translation and not necessarily a, a power phrase or something like that but the validity of God's word has been established what is it it's the word of God it's the breath of God it's the mind of God how did we get it God said it man wrote it 
The Spirit led it. Now, what do we do with it? What should we do with the Bible? Well, you've got a Bible. What do you do with it? I have a lot of Bibles. I don't even know how many Bibles I have. I have Bibles. I've got my first Bible. I've got the one that my my mom and dad bought me when I was a little boy. I've got that one. It was made by World. World Bible Publishers. Cover's coming apart on it, but I've still got that Bible. I've got my first preaching Bible. I've got my first Bibles along the way. and I've got my daddy's Bibles. I've got the Bibles that my dad preached from from for his whole life. I've got those Bibles. I've got a a lot of, of, of Bibles. The point is not in how many Bibles I have or you have. The question is what do we do with them? I want to close the message today by suggesting some things that you ought to do with your Bible. First of all, you ought to read it. You just ought to read it. <clears throat> you remember that Paul wrote to Timothy as he approached the end of his, his uh, life and Paul's in prison. And he told Timothy, he said, I, I want you to come to see me, but there's some things that I want you to bring me. And he was talking about some things that he needed there that he was to bring him. And then he made a special emphasis about one thing. In 2 Timothy 4, 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with, with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all <clears throat> the parchments. You know what the parchments are? The Scripture, <clears throat> the Word of God. Above all, bring that. Now, I don't know really how to tell you to read your Bible. <clears throat> there are a lot of methods used over the years. Read a couple of, of chapters in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament, read a psalm a day, <clears throat> read a proverb co- coordinating or, uh, with, the, um, with the day of the month. <clears throat> Those are all good ways. I recently subscribed to a young man's Kickstarter project. Any of you familiar with Kickstarter? <clears throat> I subscribed to a young man's Kickstarter project of binding the American Standard Version of the Bible into four readable volumes. The, the, pro, the project is called Bibliotheca, Bibliotheca, and I just <clears throat> did that for myself. I just, I wanted it, and, and, and uh, his approach is to take the Bible and, and to put them in a book the way that we read books. We read, uh, some of you read a lot of books, and, but you don't read much of the Bible, and, and maybe one of the reasons is because <clears throat> of the way the Bible is is laid out. Sometimes it's, it's a little daunting to look at the Bible. I mean, you, you open that thing up and it's double columns and small print and center reference and what do I do with that? And maybe you've got one that's got notes in it. <clears throat> what do I do with that? And, and, and so on. So this guy has this project called Bibliotheca. And, and, and I, I kind of like the idea and I look forward to reading the Bible into four, four uh, volumes like that. But whatever it takes, we must dedicate ourselves to read our Bibles and do so in a way that doesn't just feed our minds but feeds our souls. It's important to get what the Bible says but even more important to understand what it's saying to you. Read the Bible and say, all right, what does that say? Okay, and and let me give you the best way to understand what the Bible says. It says what it says. Usually the best understanding of the Bible is the simplest understanding of the Bible. Usually. Sometimes there are things that may be a little more, uh, uh, need a little more understanding. 
<clears throat> but that's typically. But, but what it is, just the simplest understanding. Read the Bible and see what it says, then ask this question. What is it saying to me? What is being spoken <clears throat> to me? So read it. Read it, and then secondly, heed it. Let me just give you a few verses here. Second Peter 1.19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will all do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Peter said, pay attention to it. The psalmist wrote this in 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? That may mean a little less Facebook, a little less Vine, a little less this, a little less that, and more word. What we know we should do because we know that, and that to confirm that the word confirms in our minds and hearts the truth of itself. The best way to believe the Bible is to read the Bible. 2 Peter 1.10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm, this is awesome, to confirm your calling and election. What does that mean? Confirm your calling and election. You ever had doubt about whether or not you're really saved? A lot of people do. They, they're, they're afraid that they can be saved today and lost tomorrow, or they're not really sure. Somebody gives a testimony and they say, well, so-and-so, when I got saved, it was like this. And they go, oh, no, it wasn't like that for me when I got saved. And they're <clears throat> confused about the way that it was for them. And, and you say, well, how can I get off of this thing? How can I be sure? Well, number one, make sure you're saved. Was there a time and a place in your heart and life when you realized you were lost and you put your faith in Jesus Christ? That's being born again. We don't get saved by osmosis. It's not, well, I go to church all the time, so I must be a Christian. That'd be like saying I spend all my time in a garage, so I must be a Chevrolet. <clears throat> no, there has to be a time in your life when you're born again. I got a friend sitting back there today that I sat down with him in his, his household, and he wanted to be baptized, and, and he said to me, you know, Preacher, I, I'm just, uh, I can't really remember ever being baptized. Now, I'll tell you when I got saved. And he gave me a wonderful story about when he got saved. There's a time and place when we get saved. But even people who are saved, they, <clears throat> they have trouble sometimes with their, their calling and, and their understanding. Well, <clears throat> the, the verse here says, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if we practice these qualities, you will never fail. You know what that means? If you practice the Word of God, it establishes in your heart the, the presence of God, and you don't have a doubt about your relationship to God. How can I doubt my salvation less and be more confirmed? Read and do the Bible. Read it, heed it. Here's the third thing. This is mainly for me. Preach it. The Bible ought to be preached not going to take time to read it because we're running out of time, but <clears throat> 2 Timothy, well, I will read it. 2 Timothy 4, and verse, uh, beginning in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of the Lord and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete 
patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths the word of God should be preached in a Christian world that's stuck on style we need to preach the word of God I'm, and, and forgive me, I come back to this ever so often, but, but my soul and nerves, how spoiled are we to be stuck on style? I want it this way. I want it that way. I like this kind of thing. I like that kind of thing. The thing is the Bible. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Let me get one of those amens again. That's the main thing. And, and the question that I've got is this, and I love you young people, I adore you young people, but, but my question is this, if, if everything that we do has got to be catered to a style that you like, whether you're a teenager or a young adult or whatever you may be, if it's got to, then pray tell, what is it going to be when your children come along and, and the, the reality is that it's not style but it's substance and, and you've been raised on style. Just say, here's the final thing. Live it. Live it, live it, live it. Thought about Gomer Pyle just then. Live it, live it, live it. <clears throat> Psalm 1911. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The story is told of a group of women that met for Bible study. And while studying in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, they came across a verse that spoke of, said this, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Well, that verse puzzled the women. They didn't understand. What does that really mean? How does that speak to us? So without saying anything, one woman decided that she would go and find out. And so she sought out a, a person that actually was a silversmith in the area. And she made an appointment to go and see him. And she didn't mention any reason for being interested in what he was doing, but she went to the place where he worked and, and she watched him as he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. And he explained the process to her. He said, that uh, in order to refine the silver, you needed to hold it in the middle of the fire while the fl where the flames were the hottest and could burn away all the impurities. And the woman thought about God holding us in a hot spot, and then she thought about that verse. He sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And then she asked the silversmith this, she said, is it true that you have to sit there in front of the fire the entire time that it's being refined? Do you have to sit there? Do you have to supervise this? And the man answered, yes. And that not only did he have to sit there and hold the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time. He really couldn't take a break when he was refining silver. He had to keep his eyes fixed on the silver. 
If the silver was left even for a moment too long, the flames would destroy the silver. And the woman's silent for a moment, and she asked him, But how do you know when the silver is fully refined? And he smiled and looked at her, and he said, Oh, that's easy when I can see my face in it. That's it. First Peter 1 Peter 1.24, All flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of God remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Look into the word of God until you see the face of God. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.